If you have a brain, you have bias. So let's just own it. Some biases help us by simplifying our decision-making process. Other biases hold us back by impacting who gets hired and promoted, and even who we approach to be our friends. Welcome to Breaking the Bias, a podcast where we interview impact makers who are breaking the bias when it comes to inclusion and equity. Because sharing our stories is how real belonging happens. I think the most important thing to tell you from the research, all the research, and I can tell you the disciplines, is that creativity is not optional. Creativity, the way I'm describing it as in unicorn space, is literally linked to your mental health, your longevity, your redemptive narrative for how you heal. It's a very, very important skill to cultivate. I'm Holly Corbett, VP of Content for Consciously Unbiased. Today, we have Eve Rotsky back on the show, author of Fair Play and of the newly released book, Find Your Unicorn Space, Reclaim Your Creative Life in a Too Busy World. I'm so excited to share this interview with you as we're heading into the new year, when many of us may be reflecting on how we want to show up in 2022 and setting our resolutions. Eve has spent a decade interviewing thousands of people on the gender division of labor in the household and unpacking the final wave of feminism gender equality in the home. With her latest book, Find Her Unicorn Space, Eve shares a framework for why making time for creativity is essential for reconnecting with your joy, fighting burnout, and creating more meaning in your lives. This episode is for women, men, non-binary folks, everyone. Eve's framework for tapping into your curiosity to find clues about what fuels your happiness can create a ripple effect in our homes, workplaces, and communities. In this episode of the Bre- of Breaking the Bias, we talk about what unicorn space is exactly and what it isn't, how women can reclaim permission to be unavailable from their roles as partner, parent, and professional, and take uninterrupted time for their creative pursuits, and much more. During this recording, I shared a personal story with Eve about how I started training for a race again for the first time in eight years since having kids and how it was making me so happy to be doing something I loved again that was not connected to any of the external roles I play. Then the very next day on my last training run before the race, I fell and broke my ankle. I share this because in her new book, Eve highlights one of my favorite quotes. Life is not about waiting for the storm to pass, but about learning to dance in the rain. We have all been experiencing storms, some of them small, like my broken ankle, and some of them big, like loss of a loved one or loss of a job during the pandemic. My wish for you in 2022 is that despite the storms of your life, you are able to find solace and healing by making space to follow your creative pursuits to do things you love, even when it's hard and even when the unexpected happens. Now, on to my conversation with Eve. So I was lucky enough to take a sneak peek at Find Your Unicorn Space and I'd love to hear, you know, why you decided to write this book and also tell us when the book's coming out. I'm so excited. Well, it's coming out. It's a holiday gift for sure. I think for me, why I decided to write this book was in the research for fair play. I kept thinking about like, what's the payoff, right? If you um, actually get more time back, as you know, Holly, you and I have I've been in conversation many times now where you've heard me say that the core finding of my first book, Fair Play, which um, was a book I had to write because of how much my life um, unexpectedly changed once I had kids for the worse of being the um, 
unpaid default, or as I call the she fault for all the unpaid labor, domestic tasks and child rearing for my household. As things became more fair, I started to think about, well, what's the payoff? Um, I had some women say to me, well, if I uh, get the division of labor right in my home, um, it's been so many years, I'm not sure I even know what I would do with that newfound time. Um, and so I started to get really sad when I would hear that. One of the first interviews I did for Fair Play brought these themes to light where um, this is when I was really not well-versed again, a decade ago in the gendered division of labor, which I am now an expert in. And I remember back then thinking, well, rich women wouldn't have this problem, right? Because they can outsource. Uh, that's a very problematic assumption, but that's what I thought back then. And so I remember going to one of my clients because I'm a lawyer for the high net worth um, for my day job. And I remember asking this woman, Ellen, you know, what is it that uh, cause the dissolution of your marriage. You seem so unhappy in that marriage. And I know you because I'm helping you with your philanthropy and your family business with your ex-husband. And she just looked at me and I write about this. She just looked at me and said, well, you want me to be honest? And I said, of course. And she said, I lost my permission to be interesting and interested in my own life. And I found that extremely profound. It's not something I wanted to write about, but that theme kept coming up that uh, we don't have permission to be unavailable from our roles. We don't have permission to be interested in our own lives. We are told as a society, oh, it's just a couple more years. You should really, really invest in your kids. They don't stay young forever. Um, all these messaging that keeps us from, especially women, from spending un a sustained attention to things that we love. And God forbid it's unpaid. <laughs> and so um, those pursuits, especially like what you're doing with your podcasts, whether you make a dollar from it or a billion dollars from it, they're extremely important. They're more important a lot of times than what a capitalist patriarchy will say is important. And I wanted to make sure that people understood the importance of being interested in their own lives. Mm -hmm. And so how do you define unicorn space? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's, it, you can look at it as a, as a piece of the happiness trio. So when I asked people what they would do with a, a sustained hour of time where they weren't interrupted, and I told them they cannot vacuum the floor and take care of their kids, I would often hear three things. I would hear, I would friend, sp spend time with a friend. That's adult friendships, really important. And I talk about that in Fair Play. I would hear, um, I want to just touch the sand with my dog, take a walk, take a breath. That's self-care. That's a more uh, passive pursuit. Um, important, very, very important to set those boundaries for your uh, self-care. But then the most interesting was this idea that I would crochet my Harry Potter dolls. I would work on new ideas for my podcast. I would finish my series of Japanese pottery. The active pursuits were so interesting to me. And then as I started to research them, I realized that they an active pursuit of what makes you you and that you share with the world is actually something really different than self-care and adult friendships. And sometimes it's dismissed as a hobby or a leisure project or a vanity project. All of these words that we use to diminish the importance of creativity, the active pursuit of creativity in any form that makes you you. And I like, that's why I call it unicorn space because 
like the mythical equine doesn't fucking exist, not for women, um, especially unless we reclaim it. And we say we deserve that permission to be interested in our own lives and that permission to be unavailable from our roles. And so that that is well, we can unpack it more, but I just want to, I think it's important to define unicorn space by what it's not. It's not a one-off soul cycle class. It's not a drink with a friend. It's not a date night. It's really the active pursuit of what makes you, you and how you share that. Mm, I love that. Um, I, I have to share a story with you. So before I had kids, I was a, you know, a marathon runner. I trained for triathlons. It was such a huge part of my identity. And um, and it brought me a lot of joy. And I, I actually got a lot of writing ideas as I was, you know, by myself mm-hmm. running, listening to music. And I can't believe it. Fast forward eight years, I haven't trained for a race. And recently, my sister encouraged me to train with her for a 10K. And my son made a comment the other day. And he was like, Mom, you're being so much nicer lately. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you're not yelling as much. And I was shocked because I obviously hadn't noticed. And then I stopped for a minute and I thought about it. And I said, well, honey, that's because mommy is training for a race and she's doing something for herself again. And when mom's happy, everybody's happy. So Um, I'm crying. I'm so happy. I'm so happy you're doing that. That is what I will tell you is probably the most valuable thing that you're going to give back to yourself. And it has to be your number one priority. So I'm so happy that you're doing that, that you're engaging in your unicorn space. Uh, because I really um, see you, uh, of course, as a role model um, and cultural warrior for others. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I couldn't believe what a difference it sounds. It doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but you know, as, as a mom with a full-time job and the ongoing pandemic, carving out time to run and train felt, and I have to say, and I know we're going to unpack this later, a, a little selfish or like there were so many other things I had to do, but the impact of that on my happiness and how I show up even at work and with my kids was huge. So this idea of, of unicorn space is so important. And so I wanted to ask you, why is creating unicorn space essential and not quote unquote, a privilege? Well, I think it's been a privilege for a really long time. Of course, um, everything I talk about is is a privilege, uh, meaning that um, I ask women to assert equal time choice over their lives as our male counterparts, right? That that um, takes a lot of cultural unpacking. And for the women who don't have that privilege of time choice because they're single mothers or they are, um, they are uh, hourly workers that do not get... Um, control of their schedules, I see you and I'm fighting for you. Um, I just had dinner with a congressperson last night where I was bringing um, those issues up about predictable flexibility, even in the hourly workforce to have time for pursuits that make us us because creativity is not optional. And by creativity, I don't mean just picking up a pen. I mean, training for a marathon. I mean, running a support group. I mean, doing this podcast, uh, writing a book about my husband, and how terrible he was in our relationship. Those are creative pursuits. And I think so many people misdefine creativity as something that has to do with just the arts and the arts alone. When what we find in the research is that these active pursuits, which you've often heard of as maybe the flow state, um, or um, I love 
Cal Newport, God bless him. He talks about sort of deep work. Um, they've often, and as you can tell, because you can tell who's writing these books and they're important, but they're often pale and male, right? They're often men, white men who tell you that you deserve to be in the flow state, that it's not optional, that you need uninterrupted attention for things that you love, sustained hours of uninterruption. That doesn't happen for women, especially not if we're caretakers uh, in the pandemic. On average, mothers were being interrupted every three minutes and 42 seconds. And so I found the productivity and the flow research, even though it's so important, I felt like it was not landing for women. They'd never heard of Cal Newport. They'd never read productivity research. They had never, I'd say a majority of leaders who I interviewed for Unicorn Space um, had never heard of the word flow mm. um, in terms of a, uh, a psychological concept. So it was really great to be able to reconfigure uh, these concepts that are extremely important. Like I said, these active pursuits um, that I call creativity, that I call unicorn space, and um, and take it out of just the white male uh, domain. Mm. And so flow is the idea of doing something that you love so much or brings you so much joy that you actually lose track of time, right? And you're fully in the present. Absolutely. So um, it doesn't always mean that, that and that, that's what I think I try to unpack in the book. Uh, we, we're not all uh, cupcakes and rainbows and unicorns to get to your unicorn space. Uh, there's a lot of rigor that's required when you uh, want to uh, do something creative. And I talk about that in the book. But yes, um, the idea is that I want women to believe that they have permission to be unavailable to enter a flow state. Mm. It doesn't mean we. I'm, I'm not in a flow state all the time when I'm writing, but sometimes I am. Uh, when I deliver my messages, my keynote um, on stage for for companies, when it's you know three thousand people and I get to be on a giant stage, I absolutely lose track of time. When you're um, training for a triathlon, I'm sure there are times when you're in a flow state, and other times you're like, "Shit, I just broke out of it, and this is hard." Um, training is not always easy, but the idea is that um, you don't just enter a flow state, and that's why I thought I needed to write this book because so many people said to me, I don't even know where my, what my unicorn space would be. And I would, and even if I did, I would have no idea how to even start uh, pursuing it. So I thought it was really important to, uh, to answer those questions for people when they asked me those. Mm, yeah. And, and so I could see, uh, obviously getting into the flow state, there's work that's involved, right? There's yes. then yes. eventually if you give yourself the space, it'll start to flow. And, and so flow must look obviously different for different people. And I'm just curious in, in the research that you did, how did you decide who to interview? And then did you find any certain themes across different dimensions of identity, like gender, sex, age, sexual orientation? It's a great question. Um, sadly, the researchers are not there yet in positive psychology with intersectional, um, an intersectional population, but I, I did my own research so we can talk about what I did. Um, ultimately, I had 750 people um, that in my CRM database are tagged as interviews, even though there's thousands. I mean, we have thousands of informal interviews on lines and uh, and the Costco line, and um, and when I'm talking about 
uh, fair play, I always ask about what makes you you and how do you share that with the world? Um, a lot of times that stops people because they want to just be asking like, how's the weather? Um, but I, I, I try to take the conversation deeper and I encourage the, your listeners to do that as well. It makes it for fun, uh, show-stopping conversation when you can ask people these deeper questions that you don't know. But yes, so for me, what I started with was trying to understand, um, and I have my, my, old, my old post-it note here, the intersection of identity, happiness, and creativity. Because those were the three things that women were telling me that they were lacking um, after society had told them and sold them a bill of goods, that the milestones that society promised us, whether it's a diamond ring or children uh, or getting to the C-suite were what we should be pursuing. And the things that were most lacking were, and the thing, the three words that kept coming up in the research, regardless of um, economic privilege, actually, and that mirrored the U.S. census, were, and this was not just women as well. Um, I have LGBTQIA, non-binary folks um, at this point, uh, men, but it was um, a loss of identity. It was the lack of happiness in the milestones um, that they were pursuing um, and a definite lack of creativity or a feeling that it's selfish and that that comes later in life somehow in retirement, but that it's optional. And I think the most important thing to tell you from the research, all the research, and I can tell you the disciplines is that creativity is not optional. Creativity, the way I'm describing it as un in unicorn space is literally linked to your mental health, your longevity, your redemptive narrative for how you heal. It's a very, very important skill to cultivate. It's a practice. That's the, my book is saying that creativity is not just that light bulb you get. Maybe when you're running, it's a practice that has to be cultivated. You have to build it in. You set those boundaries. But back to your initial question, I started in positive psychology because that is where the most popular courses are right now in Coursera, right? How to be happy, how to find happiness. So I started there, um, but I also wanted to go to other disciplines like um, clinical social work. Um, I wanted to go to um, neuroscience. I, it was really important for me to uh, understand um, legal scholars. I needed to understand um, the framework for um, how our capitalist society is structured. So. Um, to not make us want to pursue these unpaid, uh, sustained attention for things we love. Uh, so I went to sociologists, um, labor economists, behavioral economists. So I, I really try to cast a really wide net. Um, and I will say that I found some really interesting things uh, in being cross-disciplinary and not just staying within positive psychology. Mm. Yeah, and I think, you know, what you just said about people really looking and searching for happiness and, and, and things that bring them joy. And with the pandemic, I mean, obviously, you know, our, our values have been questioned and what matters most has probably been on a lot of people's minds, because I think with this collective crisis, we've collectively reevaluated our lives on an individual level. And, you know, we know life may end tomorrow, or we could lose our jobs tomorrow. So waiting for another time to find space for your own creative life um, 
seems to be, you know, people seem to be craving more of that. So I'm wondering how can unicorn time maybe be the anecdote for so many things many of us are facing during the pandemic, whether it's burnout or anxiety? Well, absolutely. And of course, as we said earlier, this requires privilege. And I told, like I said, I am fighting for a society where we all have this time choice. I'd say practically, the first thing I ask women to do, if you're listening, is take your kids' initials off your neck. Um, I literally, uh, it's, it's what Holly said in the beginning of her son saying, wow, you're doing something for you and recognizing the power. Um, just this year, I said, you know what? I'm writing this book about reinvesting in me. I'm going to start wearing an E again as my initial. I love you guys, but I'm retiring your initials on my neck, right? Um, and so I think it's it's showing those around you that you're serious, that you're ready to protect those boundaries for the things that you love. And then why it's so powerful. And this is the most interesting thing I think I found in being able to be cross-disciplinary, Holly, in the research for this book, which was so fun. It was really fun to talk about a flow state, to lose myself in flow and the books on, on happiness was that um, I think positive psychology has really been hijacked. And what I mean by that is I think it's a really important discipline, but there's two ways it's been hijacked. Number one, it's been hijacked by sort of the right wing of society to say, well, there's a baseline for happiness. So people are gonna be happy or they're gonna be sad. So it doesn't matter if we give them social safety nets or supports. That's totally bullshit. And I don't think any of the positive psychologists thought that that their research would be used in that way. So we have to retire that. But number two, what has happened is that people have somehow thought that when they see all this how to be happy uh, narrative around them for the past 10 years, at least in my research, people have thought um, that they need to pursue happiness for happiness sake. And I'm here to tell you that pursuing happiness for happiness sake is guaranteed to make you sad. <laughs> it's guaranteed to make things worse. And so I think what unicorn space is telling you is that happiness is a clue. And once I could put happiness in its place for where I wanted it to be, Holly, I felt like I had a breakthrough, like an important book, an important message that was different. Because happiness for happiness sake, whether it's through gratitude journaling or um, meditation, it's, it's fine. Those are fine. I'm not saying you stop doing those things, but actually happiness is a clue. When you are in your unicorn space, when you are running, when you're training for your triathlon, what your son is seeing as a byproduct is happiness. What he's seeing as a clue that you're on the right track is happiness. And so that's why I think it's so exciting because that it can be a practice where you're listening to your clues. You're listening to for when you're jealous of other people, you're listening for when you're happy or listening for when you're sad, because those will start directing you into the place where you need to go because it's not optional. And the last thing I will say is that for you, you're lucky because you did have something before to start thinking about again. Like I know that I love triathlons for a lot of people. It's been so many years since they had that type of pursuit, especially women who are taught we have to be perfect and the perfect student and do what other people tell us, that we actually haven't explored really what makes us us and how you share that with the world. And so going back for me to say, okay, well, if I just go back, I'm actually going to re be revisiting a lot of trauma. And it's actually more important to look at your future self. 
Mm -hmm. um, what you want to be in the future. And you can take agency to make that happen. So of course, look back. If there's something you used to love to do and you can reclaim it, fantastic. But this book also gives you permission to find something new. Mm. Yeah. And um, you mentioned in the book, the the three P's, um, uh, parent, partner, and professional, and that women feel guilty when they're taking time to do anything outside of those three roles. And again, those those three things are just that they're roles. They're not really who we are. So for, for women and people who describe themselves based on their role or their relation to other people, what advice do you have on how to even begin the journey of finding yourself again? It's a great question. I think in my darkest days, Holly, um, after my second son, Ben was born, when I had to break down over the text, my husband says sent me, you know, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries that I write about in, in fair play. Um, I had been relegated to being called Zach's mom, um, for, uh, three years at that point. And it was a really low place for me where, um, the new friends I was forging in preschool, um, this new city I was living in, I was living in LA at the time. Um, nobody had any idea who I was and nobody was curious about who I was. And it felt really um, isolating and super lonely. And so what I would say is that if you feel that way, or if you, if I'm the ghost of Christmas future and you're listening to this because you're thinking of having a family structure, what I want to say is that what I, this book is here to tell you, you don't ever have to put those pursuits last ever that you are more than milestones, um, that our whole society needs a milestone makeover. And I think about, if you look at Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, great show, but you know, we're talking about someone's home. We're talking about physical possessions. We're talking about their looks. We're talking about um, things that ultimately are roles, like you said, or um, are things that are not, are outside, external, external uh, signifiers of, wealth, um, happiness, things that are su supposed to make us happy. But if we can start more focusing internally and then sharing those things that really come from inside us with the world, and that starts with your values, then everything changes. So what I say to people who are intimidated by where to start is I have a, a whole chapter on starting with your values. Everybody has values. Every single one of us has values. And so when you can re- tap into those, when you can really think about what your values are, your values, not um, what society tells you you should value, but your internal values, it starts becoming a roadmap for what your curiosity can be. And I love the word curiosity so much more than I love the word passion, because not all of us have a passion, mm -hmm. but all of us can be curious. One of my, one of my friends said to me, well, does that mean I could be curious about my friend's tr Venmo transactions. I said, okay, maybe not curious about that, but curious about things that um, are out in the world that are based on your values. I call that values-based curiosity. Yeah, that is, it's such a great point because I think for so often, like what we're talking about with the three Ps is we define ourselves by the external world. And that's so transient, right? Like that, that could change in a second. People's opinions change, 
titles change, roles may change, and basing it more on your identifying and living your life more in line with your own internal values is just a truer path to finding contentment and also finding the flow. And for me, where you were saying, you know, happiness is a clue. It's a clue, it sounds like, of what energizes you and what energizes us is what we should move towards. So I, I That's think- it. You just got it. Exactly. I mean, I think what energizes us is what we should move towards is a great encapsulation of this message. And I think it's not so easy for women. So like I said, why I felt like I wanted to enter the productivity times creativity space is because most of the spaces um, ignores people um, or makes assumptions that we all have sustained attention. We have the time we have the energy, we have the permission to devote sustained attention for uninterrupted time. Mm -hmm. And that is um, sadly not most of the world. And so I felt like it was really important to still bring the research and creativity um, message to the forefront, but with understanding the lens of the reality of the lived experience of others than just privileged white men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, for so much of the world, I mean, there, there are single parents, there are people working two or three jobs. And like you said, they don't have the privilege of time. And just to bring it to um, the context right now, I, I'm just guessing that a common excuse for women on why they can't find unicorn time has to do with all of the financial uncertainty and increased caregiving duties during the pandemic. I'm just gonna call out a few stats from your book. At the height of the pandemic, women's unpaid labor increased 153% and we're already doing a lot of it. So that's a big increase. Mm -hmm. 3 million women left the workforce in 2020 and 42% of working moms reduced their working hours to care for kids versus 30% of dads. So how the heck did you help women carve out time for creativity and for themselves, despite all of these challenges happening right now? Well, here's the cool part. The cool part was actually uh, people who identified as having less economic privilege were more likely in my study to uh, say that they had unicorn space. Um, and so I found that really, really encouraging. And a lot of it had to do with um, work uh, within the church community, um, having more access to different types of community groups. Um, it, it was um, an understanding of, of scarcity of time and so making the best use of it. Um, so actually, it was interesting to see that people um, at the higher end of the economic privilege scale did not have <laughs> did not have more unicorn space. So we know it's not just about more privilege and more time. I think it also has to do with Again, as we said before, how are we defined? Um, and I think that as Tova Klein said, which I thought was really important and fair play, and I'll repeat it here for people who do have more economic privilege, do not make your unicorn space the perfection of your children. And I think we're seeing that a lot. I think we're seeing a very type of intensive parenting and the 9.9% of coaches of wanting their kids to play professional baseball, my child's going to be a Dodger, um, my child's going to be in a professional dance company, when none of that stuff is really going to happen. But a lot of times I feel like it's a lack of awareness of things that maybe that parent wanted to do, um, but was not maybe afforded in their lifetime. And so they put all these deferred dreams on their kids. Don't mm -hmm. do that. <laughs> Don't do that. 
um, better for you to reclaim your own dreams than to project them onto your children. Yeah. And I think for my kids, I may be a delinquent parent, but I, I don't like to schedule them for, <laughs> I didn't even sign my first grader up for anything yet. Cause I, I like the idea that amazing, big, big claps, for, big snaps for you. And yeah, I think, you know, they're in school all day and I want them to have that space. And, and you know what, they build forts outside. I mean, yes, they're on their devices, but they, they do other things with their time and they're, they're writing little comic books. And I think that's so important. It's such a good exercise for me as a parent to see when they have their space, they automatically go towards creativity. It's so fascinating to me. And they start building things and making things. Um, but I think what you said before is that's really counterintuitive because you would think if you had more money, you'd be able to outsource more and therefore have more time. And your findings were the opposite of the that. Opposite. Absolutely. Why, can you just unpack that? Is, is it that, um, you know, maybe in the top percent, we're so out of line with our values or playing into hustle culture that we don't value that creative time that may not pay off in quote unquote monetary value and not value enough the time that would pay off in happiness, even if it's not something material. Absolutely. I think the ideal worker structure for the quote unquote knowledge class has been highly toxic. I think that, um, you know, lots of companies have convinced their workers that they're family, um, that they can't be off, that the ideal worker literally has no boundaries that literally you're willing to answer an email at midnight at three in the morning, um, anytime. Um, and so when you lose your permission to be unavailable, um, it causes a lot of consequences. And so, yes, I see that that ideal knowledge worker class um, is, is, is subject to extreme burnout. Um, yes, of course, it's a more privileged um, class because you can leave, you can leave your job. Uh, there's a big, great, great resignation happening right now, but I did not, it did not correlate that again, that somebody with, um, a higher economic privilege was willing to say, I deserve sustained attention for things that I love. Um, in fact, I think there was actually more guilt and shame because again, the ideal worker structure meant that the burnout of working 24 hours a day, um, and always being unavailable, always being available to your employer meant that you were squeezing in your other roles of parenting and partnering um, on the fringes, and that is means that there's a lot of a lot less time for um, this boundary setting. And I so again, so regardless of where where you sit, um, why I say creativity is not optional is because. These things that we're talking about today, these ident values inspired curiosity um, and how you decide to share yourself and show up for the world is really um, the meaning and purpose of life. And, and I don't like to get too esoteric and too deep because um, I'm not here to be a semi-spiritual guru, but I think it was really important for me to understand how meaningful, how happy, how um, creatively engaged people feel um, when not only they, they know their values, they can hone them, they can be curious about something, but the key was the sharing, Holly. Mm -hmm. that, that is why, and again, this is also 
very interesting because one other thing I saw that was a lot of time use in the 9.9% as they're called now um, was uh, personal pursuits around exercise. And so it's not what you're talking about, the community engagement of a triathlon or marathon, which are incredibly important unicorn space ideas because it's a community movement. You are sharing yourself with the world, hence why people make signs for you on the side of the road. But these very personal pursuits of meditation and you know, 100 soul cycle classes, those are not eudaimonia. That is not unicorn space. The sharing with the world component is what allows you to link what we're talking about to your mental health and your longevity. And so that's why I encourage, it's really important. You say you love yoga, fantastic. Um, stop perfecting your handstand, start teaching. You say you love to run, um, stop doing it on a treadmill, sign up for the community race. You say you um, miss your grandmother, take out those old crochet needles and start remembering and taking an old pattern and start recrocheting something that she taught you and hand it out as baby gifts. These are all real examples of people who told me they refound themselves in their creativity. Um, and again, it was always, and this was, I was not setting out to find this. This was in my own research. Every single one of the people, when I said, when did you feel happy? Every single one of them had a, when it was sharing with the world answer. Mm -hmm. So I am going to go a little esoteric on you because it, this just seems like a huge concept. It's a ripple effect. So when you allow yourself the time and space to be creative, then like I saw in my own life, you, you show up for the people you love. Um, but also if we're playing into hustle culture and we're spending our spare minutes checking our emails all the time, what a disservice to society in the idea that we're not bringing these gifts, these things that we're building into the world. We're not volunteering, right? Because we don't have time to volunteer. And that seems like such a collective loss. Like if everybody could find their creative space and their flow, there would be more to give in our communities and our societies. So hundred percent. And I think I've been really thinking a lot about the social contract because um, as a lawyer, um, I, I went into law because, you know, there's all these like buzzwords now about design thinking, but there's actually nobody who does design thinking better than lawyers because we literally design society, right? We want you to stop at a stop sign. We're going to pass a law to tell you to stop at the stop sign, right? So I think a lot about um, how we design societies and what our social contract is. And I think the social contract at its core, and again, why I started thinking about it recently is because again, it was all white men. It was like Rousseau and Locke. And I think that's why I tuned out. But if you think about the social contract now, this idea that you take care of your young, you take care of your old to be productive members of society. Productive members of society doesn't mean just for, for money. And that's why the GDP has been considered a, a measure that's really flawed because um, all economists, even the most conservative understand the idea that of a utility curve, that a happier society is a more productive society. Um, and the more that we can be creative and have more people be creative. I think that's the most important thing because white men and God bless them, I love them. I'm, I'm raising two of them. They, they have an opportunity for a flow state, 100%. They have the most leisure time in America today. And so, and, and on top of it, there's this amazing professor at Harvard Business Review who I'm working with um, who said, 
men are the, the best at compartmentalizing he's ever seen. The three P's, partner, parent, professional, do not come in when they are golfing, when they're doing their pottery, when they're playing their tennis, when they are writing. They are a writer. They are a golfer. They are a potter. Um, but for women, we always bring our roles to what we do. So, so for me, it's getting us to a place of, yes, we can have the John Lasseter's of the world. Again, God bless him for Pixar, whatever. I guess he's canceled now, but they can be creative all day. But imagine if we had other lived experiences being creative. Mm -hmm. So it's granting that privilege to other populations by recognizing it's not optional is what I found so profound, like you said about this research, that it's it's profound in a way that I wasn't sure it was going to be necessarily when um, most articles were referring to what I was talking to as about as a hobby. Mm, yeah, yeah. And I mean, to me, what just comes up is that, you know, for so long, we place value on monetary things and what we produce, but we aren't what we produce. We aren't our titles. We aren't the dollar in our bank account and life is short. And we're all really realizing this collectively right now. You get one life, it, it ends, you know, it goes by fast. And so to be able to spend that time um, really living, really living and being creative. And then, like you said, the, the, what I think is so important is sharing that. That is, I think, how we collectively move forward and get out of the hamster wheel of the hustle culture that we find ourselves in. Well, that's what I was saying about your podcast. Like I'm going to, besides your marathon running, I'm going to say that this is your unicorn space. Another, you have two, mm -hmm. um, two important ones and you deserve two because what you're doing, Holly, again, like I said, regardless of what is happening on the monetary side with what is happening here there's inherent and intrinsic worth in what you're doing. It, 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 interviewing important people. I listen to you. Um, I get ideas from you. I get ideas from how you interview people. I need you to keep doing it and recognize again, that this uh, pursuit is as important as anything else that you will do in your life. Oh, well, thank you. I, I love it. I feel very lucky that I get to learn from amazing thought leaders and ask questions um, like you and share them with people. I just couldn't imagine anything that would be more fun and I would do it for free. So, <laughs> um, but, you know, I did want to ask you, so how can women, because we, the word permission keeps coming up. How can women give them, I mean, realistically in the world with all these demands and the culture that we live in, give ourselves permission for our unicorn space. And why the hell do we even need permission? In the first? I, well, exactly. I mean, that, that we'll unpack that in a whole nother uh, part two podcast of what the hell, what, what a number of society has done on us. But I think the way I answer that is a lot of it for me is remembering the, the beauty of remembering, right? I said, you don't have to go back to, to find what you want to do, but I think it's important to go back to remember that time. Like my 21 year old Eve, Holly, I was a definitely going to be a Senator and president, right? Because it's not like unconstitutional. I don't think. And like, I could, I could do my executive orders at night and I would, cause legislate, you know, senators are lazy. Like they're, they sort of, you know, the, the, the gavel goes down around like four. And so they, they get out of there and they like go back to their home constituency, but I will be in New York. So the beauty of going home to my constituents, if I'm a Senator is that I can do my executive orders during the week as president, but I still can be a Nick city dancer 
because if I'm going back to see my constituents anyway, I can like campaign at Madison Square Garden and I'm definitely going to dance at the 1230 games on Saturday, right? It was that Eve had so much fire. I was on fire, literally, um, with ideas, with energy, with creativity, with curiosity, um, with productivity. And slowly, um, over 10 years, that Eve died. At 31, that Eve was dead. Um, there was no buddy in my personality and my identity that, that, that could identify with that 21 year old version of myself. And so trying to unpack why that light inside of me died, why that fire died was really, really important to understanding how we can get started again. We are all phoenixes that are coming out of the ashes. We're coming out of the ashes of this great transformation, this great disruption in our lives, which is this COVID-19 pandemic. And so now is a great time to start thinking about how you rise. And I think how you rise is a really important distinction from thinking that you will always be happy or that that means you will eat, pray, love it out of your life. I don't mean that because what I like to say is unicorn space is your umbrella from your storms. It will always rain especially for women in this country. It is never gonna be sunny, but it is much better not to be soaked. It's much better to have an umbrella. And so recognizing that the umbrella is how you show up for yourself in your creativity and bringing other people with you in your sharing in your community, those connections that I talk about in this book, that is how you get started by recognizing that we all had that fire and what happened to us, why did it, get put out and it's, it, we rise, we rise from that, from that trauma. Well, that Eve is back, um, stronger, wiser, <laughs> and it just, I really hope for listeners, um, regardless of your circumstances or where you are, that we all give ourselves permission, permission to find the joy, permission to follow our creativity. Um, because if we collectively do that, our, our lives, ourselves, our society, our families, our workplaces will be so much stronger. So thank you for all of the amazing research and work and beautiful writing in this book. I can't wait for everyone to read it when it comes out this holiday season. And is there anything else that um, you, know, you wanna add here that maybe I didn't ask you? I, I guess I would just end on the fact that um, what we started with, that permission to be interested in your own life, to be interesting to yourself is probably the greatest gift you can give yourself, especially around as we're thinking about the holiday season and res resolutions for the new year. Um, don't focus on your weight or your exercise routine. It's unless you're going to your unicorn spaces, triathlons, like let's, you know, let's get bigger. Let's get, get bigger collectively and share your unicorn space resolution with me. Um, find me. I am at Fair Play Life on Instagram, uh, Eve Rodskin Instagram. We we take those DMs and we'd love to be able to share your unicorn space resolutions with others so that you can also inspire people um, to get that permission to be interested in their own lives. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Eve. It's wonderful. Big hugs. As always. 
You can find out more about our amazing guest and some of the resources we mentioned on the show at consciouslyunbiased.com slash listen. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Bias.